When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the radio show that gives you those straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Good to hear that. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Glad you could join us for another good show. We've got some great topics to talk about today. We're going to be talking about understanding annuity fees. That is a source of a lot of questions that our listeners have, so we're going to try to explain that annuity fees. We'll also be talking about strategy of safe investing alongside riskier investments. We'll cover fixed index annuity CDs and money market investments. But I want to start off today, Brian, by talking about the payout options of annuities. When you purchase an annuity, certainly you do have many options. In the beginning, I guess it was a very simple option. You only had a couple. But it seems to me, Brian, that as many annuities as there are, there are almost as many options for payouts. Yeah, there's so many different options for payouts. And I wanted to spend this segment talking about that because there's really five big asset classes out there, you know, broad, big asset classes. One is bonds. One is the stock market. Another one is real estate. Another one is insurance company products, including annuities, and the other is cash and cash equivalents, which we'll talk about later. So it's five big categories. Well, one of them is pretty misunderstood. It's the annuity category, and for good reason, because it's a little bit complicated. Now, we're going to focus today, though, on fixed indexed annuities. There's really three different types. There's fixed, fixed indexed, and variable. And just very briefly, a fixed annuity is pretty simple. It's like a CD. You buy it, and they tell you what interest rate they're going to pay you, period. That's enough of that discussion. Variable annuity is tied to the stock market, ups and downs of the stock market with certain features within the annuity. Today, we're talking about fixed indexed annuities and talking about the different crediting methods available on fixed indexed annuities. So, Brian, primarily our discussion today is about fixed index annuities, at least in this segment, in terms of what they pay. So, first of all, floors and caps, what are those? Yeah, one of the primary attributes of a fixed index annuity is that most of them offer a floor. What's a floor? Well, it means that regardless of whatever index you select, let's say the index you select is down, uh, the floor is going to say, well, it can't go down below the floor. And generally, fixed index annuities, one of the common features of most of them is that the floor is zero. You can't lose money in a given year on the credit. So no matter what the market does, and that's the reason, you know, one of the reasons why people consider fixed index annuity, one of the primary attributes that is not offered in other investments is that you have a floor, a floor zero. So if your index is negative, you go, oh, I get to pretend I didn't lose any money this year or or you didn't. And my floor is zero. So I get to try again next year. So that's certainly uh, that's what a floor is. A cap is another thing that sometimes the, the interest crediting methods have. And that's a ceiling or a cap, meaning that you you're not going to lose on the downside, but you can't make all of it on the upside. There's going to be a ceiling to the amount. 
So one of the common methods is, let's say that you buy a fixed index annuity and your crediting option is the S&P 500. You go, oh great, I get the S&P 500. But what if it loses money? Well, no, you get a floor of zero, you don't lose money. Oh, super, so I get all the upside? No, you get the upside to a cap under this scenario. And whatever that cap is, if the S&P did better than the cap, you get the cap. If it did between zero and your, your cap, your ceiling, then you get whatever it, it performed. If it went negative, you get a zero that year. So again, a fixed index annuity would have a floor of zero, or at least for the case of this discussion, we're talking about a floor of zero. And of course, it can have a cap as well. Let's talk about the participation rate a little bit. Yeah, participation rate is a little bit different in that it still has a floor of zero, but on the upside, you, you don't have a cap, you don't have a ceiling. You say, great, why wouldn't I pick this every time over the, uh, the one with the ceiling? Well, with the ceiling, you get 100% of the S&P 500 up to the ceiling. So let's say your ceiling was, I'll just throw out a number, 5%, and the S&P did 10. Well, you get all of the five, but everything above five you don't get. Now with a participation rate, they will give you a percentage of the S&P 500 with no ceiling. So in this case, let's say that your participation rate for argument's sake was 30% and the S&P went up 10, well, you would get three. But if it went up 30, you would get nine under this example. Mm -hmm. um, so depending on what the S&P did, you could actually do better than the one with the ceiling. But if it only did five, you wouldn't get very much with a participation rate, whereas with the cap, if the cap was five, you get all five in that year. So hopefully I'm not muddying it up too much, but you can either have a, yeah, when, when the S&P is really good, you hope you have a participation yeah. rate. When the S&P is okay, you hope you have a cap. When it's down, either one will suffice because they both have a floor of zero. So it sounds like uh, that uh, certainly with fixed index annuities, you do have some options here. And it's very important to understand what we're talking about. And of course, generally people don't understand this in the beginning. But, you know, once you do get it, it does become quite clear. So floors and caps participation rate. I've heard of the spread. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So with the uh, the cap, you get 100 percent of the gain up to a ceiling. With the participation rate, you get an unlimited percentage. With a spread, you get whatever 100% of whatever that index did minus a certain amount. So they might say, we'll give you all of this index or, or most of this index minus, say, 3%. There's some kind of spread. So let's say your index did 10 and you had 100% of that index and they had a spread of 3 you get 10 minus three or seven. So a spread is kind of a, a tweener in there. It's, mm -hmm. it's another adjustment to the rate of return on the annuity. All right, so that's the spread. Now I understand that there's also a, uh, an annual or a two point point to point. What is that about? Yeah, the, you might say, okay, what's the time period they measure this? Is this a daily thing like the stock market? No, generally it's an annual point to point. So if I bought it on, on February 2nd, okay, that's the start date. February 1st of the following year would be what you measure the change on. So it's based upon 365 days holding. So really the only two dates that matter are those two dates. If it was down all year and recovered and just before your anniversary, uh, great, you made money. If it was up all year and it dropped down below 
where it's the starting point a year later, then you, you know, you don't have any loss, but you didn't make any money. So it might be an annual point to point. Sometimes it's a two year point to point or even a five year point to point. So they can have longer time periods, but the only, in these cases, the only two dates that matter, the date you, you start that index and the, and the point to point on the other side of it. Brian, earlier in the discussion, you talked about caps. I mean, if I had my druthers here, I think I'd rather have an uncapped index is there such a choice that I can make? Yeah, so a lot of times we might opt for an uncapped index if we think the market's going to be very volatile. So in this case, uh, when I choose the index for my clients, I don't make them figure all this stuff out. So mm-hmm. if you're listening, don't think, oh my gosh, I got to read a 600-page book on, on index strategies. No, uh, a good advisor should know which one to pick. If the market is volatile, I tend to want to go with an uncapped index because every so often I might have a really good year for my client. Uh, if it's really steady market, it's always doing, you know, three, four, five, six percent or whatever. You want to cap because you get 100 percent of the increase. Now, in my experience, I will just say markets are volatile. They're either really good or really not good. There's very few years historically. In fact, in, I think in the last hundred years, the stock market's only landed between six and eight percent on maybe four occasions in 100 100 years, it doesn't do our long-term average very often. It does, you know, it does 15, minus 15, whatever. It's way outside of the general long-term range. So in that case, you might uh, take a a look at uh, the uncapped indexes. Brian, you you know, as complicated as this may seem, as you said, it may not be as complicated when you have someone like yourself uh, explaining it to the client. But are there crediting strategies that insurance companies use that involve things like stock options and bonds, market timing, that sort of thing? Yes. So if this hasn't been confusing enough for anybody <laughs> listening, I I use the S and P five hundred as my my example. Yeah, that's now I got simple, a yeah. myriad. Yeah. yeah, that's simple. I know what the S and P sure. five hundred is. I can look it up. But then you've got the Bud B index and the Bud B two and the right. and the Pimco's got their indexes and Morgan Stanley has theirs and and everybody has their own proprietary indexes out there and there's some proprietary software they use that market times throughout the year using a mix of bonds and options and cash and stocks and and it's mixed up and and boy it's tough to explain that one to anybody because and and even you know pretty much we can just look at the historical averages and and make conclusions now one of the the really great things about picking indexes though for us is like well what if i pick the wrong one well you can pick several indexes. Most annuity companies will say, you can mix and match all you want. Maybe I'll put 25% into the fixed strategy and 25 into the, the cap and, and 25 into participation rate and 25% into the proprietary index with the spread. You know, you can, you can mix and match different ones if, if you're not sure. So we often do that. We diversify our, our index strategies. Uh, some will do better in some years and obviously others in other years. And, and one of the, the things about this, you can't just look at the historical because you, if you say, well, this one index did really good last year, I, w- I, I want everything in it. Well, often that index won't do good the following year because it already had its kind of little bit of a run. And one that didn't do last year might do better this year because, you know, it's buy low, sell high. And so that's why it's, uh, it's kind of uh, not necessarily a great idea just to 
to go with whatever was good last year. You might want to kind of pick a strategy, a mix of them that you think is, is good and kind of stick with that more. We've been talking about annuity crediting options here on Growing Your Wealth. Once again, there are some choices that you have to make. So the more information that you have, the better off you can be. Once again, if you've got questions about annuity crediting options or you would like a no-cost, no-obligation financial review, you have at least $500,000 to invest, contact Madrona Financial Services for your review. The number 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. Or as always, you can request your review online at madronafinancial.com. Time for a break. Brian, We'll be right back with more of our show after this. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about payout options of annuities. And Brian, we talked about how you earn money, but now let's talk about how you get that money and talk about payouts here. Annuities have many different payout options that you need to know before you purchase. So let's start with joint and survivor life, Brian. What is that? Yeah, and before I jump into that, I I did want to say that there's basically two objectives of annuities as I see it. One is to have increases in value with no chance of, of losing money. I call these accumulation annuities. So one of the terms I use is CD on steroids uh, for fixed index annuities. I want to have something that's CD-like but can maybe get me a better return over the long term. So that's an accumulation annuity. The other category are, is those that pay you cash flow for life. And that's what we're talking about here is the payout options of the cash flow for life category of fixed index annuities. So the first one you brought up was joint survivor life. So a lot of people listening might, you know, when they maybe they retired or they're going to retire and they have a pension. When they have the option of the pension, they have various choices. Well, you have the same thing with annuities. So one of them, if you're married, you can pick joint and survivor life so that if you pass away before your spouse, your spouse continues to get the money that uh, would have gone to you. So that's an option of annuities and of, of many pensions. Or you can say, nope, I'm going to take the individual life only. And so if you pass away with a pension and you take that, well, then it stops. If your spouse survives you, they don't get any more checks. With an annuity, same thing. However, if there's still an account balance with an annuity left, that account balance could go to your spouse. So, Brian, with a pension, I mean, if you choose the joint and survivor life, you get less than you would if it would be an individual life. Is that the same case with annuities? Absolutely. And so that's why some people might say, well, maybe the annuity is maybe the spouse that has that annuity is younger and better shape and has more longevity in their family. And let's say she says, you know, I don't want to take a less check because I'm probably going to, you know, outlive my husband or whatever the case may be. She might take, in this case, the single life because it pays out a little bit more. All right. So that's joint life, survivor life and individual life. Brian, how does individual life, you know, differ from life only? Because life only is an option as well. Yeah. So individual life is, again, just on your own life. Now, a life only. So the nuance here is individual life. Let's say you pick that and uh, you take 
checks for a year and then you get hit by the proverbial bus. Mm-hmm. Well, you still have a very large account balance. And that account balance, unlike a pension, the pension goes to zero if you take a life, you know, a, a individual life pension payout. Right. But with an annuity, it has an underlying account balance. And that account balance at least will go to your spouse. Whereas if you pick a life only, then it definitely ends then. And so you wouldn't have any residual. So if you get hit by the proverbial bus, that's it. And so there's a difference, uh, a nuance between individual life selection and a life only type of annuity. So you have to be real careful on payouts if you're married and if you have, you know, heirs, there can be very different, you know, any point depending on which option you take. So again, there's sort of a subtle difference between individual life and life only. Let's talk about life with period certain. Yeah, in this case, you can get a higher payout with life with period certain. That sounds pretty good. So if I uh, get hit by the, the proverbial bus after year one, this thing goes on. Yes, it goes on, but only for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So it might be life with a 10-year period certain. If you outlive the uh, 10 years, then it will pay you for life. If you don't live 10 years, it'll pay for 10 years. But in this case, in a 10-year period, you're not even going to get back your original investment. So my advice is don't die before the 10 years. <laughs> but some people might might pick that just, you know, I want the higher payout than a life only, but just in case I have some kind of accident, I want some protection, at least my heirs would get something if that were the case with a period certain. We're talking about payout options of annuities with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs in our program, Growing Your Wealth. We've talked about joining survivor life, individual life, life only, and life with period certain. There's also the option for a fixed period, right, Brian? Yeah, that's a that's an annuity you can buy that just pays you a certain amount for a fixed period of time. Now, why would somebody do that? Well, you might have a, a trust and and you want a certain amount to go to somebody for a certain period of time, or you know for whatever reason it needs to to accomplish some kind of goal, and you want to be very specific about. When that money comes in, you want a monthly check. You want it to go for, again, X number of years. You can buy an annuity that, that does that if, if you have that purpose. So maybe it's, I want to make sure my kid's mortgage is paid off, but I don't want to give them a bunch of money. So you might buy an annuity that just pays a certain amount you know, for the 30 years that their mortgage is. I'm just throwing this example out. But you can pick an, uh, an annuity that pays a, for a fixed period or a fixed amount. Okay, so fixed period and fixed amount. The next one is increasing lifetime income. That sounds like a good option to me. Can you explain more about that? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned the the two categories of annuities, uh, accumulation and uh, lifetime cash flow. Well, you can pick lifetime cash flow with a fixed amount that pays out over your entire life, or you can have one with increasing lifetime cash flow. Mm -hmm. And you might go, well, why wouldn't I pick the increasing one every time? Well, because the starting point might be different. So let's say that the uh, fixed payment was 10000 a year for the rest of your life, uh, whereas the increasing payment started out at 7000 And you go, oh, I see. So I get less in my early years when I want more money. But mm-hmm. uh, later, 
I'll be getting more, which I might need because we have inflation right. and I might want to get increasing cash flow. So, you know, it's a tough call for some people as to, to which one they want to pick. Uh, it kind of depends on your age and your concerns about inflation and so forth. But uh, certainly on the, you know, I, I would look at this and say, I, I kind of want to cover inflation because 10000 today, if I'm getting money 30 years from now, 10000 30 years from now isn't very much compared to 10000 today if you have inflation. Yeah, that's exactly right. It could be half of that. Finally, Brian, are there annuities as far as payout options that offer a death benefit? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, pensions don't don't generally have a death benefit. When you die, your spouse dies, it's done. There's no residual. Uh, annuities can have uh, a residual, the underlying account balance, if there's still something there. They also, some of them have an additional payout on top of your account balance. It's uh, basically uh, almost like a life insurance rider to some degree. It's, it's uh, an extra payout on top of the account balance. So death benefit can be a consideration because I, I get that. Well, I get this question all the time. But if I buy this annuity and I get hit by the bus, well, the insurance company is just going to take all the money, aren't they? I'm like, no, no. You either get your account balance to you or you might even get your account balance plus uh, additional money that, that you didn't even put into the, the policy. So death benefit can be an important consideration with annuities. But the, the common theme here is no, the insurance company does not take your money if you die. Brian, one of the takeaways that I've gotten from this particular conversation is that annuities with the least amount of guarantees will offer the greatest cash flow. So from highest to lowest cash flow, how would these things rank? Yeah, if you did a fixed period and it's not for life, it's just, you know, let's say 10 years, that's probably going to be the highest one, but it's going to run out. The next one would be life only. There's no guarantee. If you get hit by a bus in a month, the insurance company does keep your money because, you know, you said life only. Well, you're, you're not alive, so there's no more checks. Mm-hmm. So they will pay out more on a life only. Then it's life only with a period certain. Well, if I get hit by the bus, I at least get 10 years, say. All right, they'll pay you more than other annuities, but less than the life only because they're giving you some guarantee there. The next one would be individual life. And finally, the lowest payout would be joint and survivor. So if I pass away, my spouse gets payments the rest of their life. So there has all the guarantees. That's the, the longest to live of two different people. So you're, you're exactly right, Jeff, that the, uh, the more guarantees that the insurance company is offering, the less the payouts will be on that particular annuity. So for the purpose of this discussion, the highest payout would be the fixed period, and then the least payout would be the joint and survivor life. lot of uh, considerations here when it comes to taking these options with annuities. Brian, do most people that really have these options, do they have a clear understanding of what they should be doing when they come in? Or is there really, uh, you know, just a lot of homework and calculations to decide which is going to be the right strategy for them? Uh, no, they do not know which ones they need when they come in. And, and that's where, uh, you know, one of the reasons we do this show is to point out some of the questions that, that need to be addressed. Um, you know, we're of the belief that you got to do a, a full financial plan to say, all right, what are the holes in the financial plan? What do we need to shore up? Uh, I don't want to fix that which has already been fixed. I want to fix that which is broken or, or not working properly. And so then we can look at all. There's there's a lot of moving parts here. Unfortunately, in our industry, there's a lot of salespeople that 
sell a particular product and, and it's kind of like, well, one size fits all. And I think after listening to this, gosh, we talked about joint survivor, individual life only, mm-hmm. life with period certain, fixed period, fixed amount, increasing life, uh, you know, all these different things. Boy, that doesn't sound like one size fits all, does it, Jeff? No, it does not. And, you know, this discussion can be a little complex. I think most people got the gist of it, but I'm sure that some people, you know, have listened to this and said it's pretty interesting, but I'd like to hear it again to maybe let it soak in a little bit more. So if you'd like to hear this discussion once again, it's going to be on our website, which is madronafinancial.com. Click on the radio tab. And as always, all of our programs are podcasts. So wherever you get your podcasts, simply search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans, and you will see this list as one of the options. You can listen to it as many times as you want until you get it. If you still have questions about annuities and payout options, of course, you can give us a call at Madrona Financial, 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. Also, if you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, you have at least $500,000 to invest. You're looking for a complimentary financial review. Again, the number 844-MADRONA, or you can request it at the website madronafinancial.com. Time for a break. Brian will be right back with more of our show after this. You can't build a house with just one tool, and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated, comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about fixed annuities, CDs, and money market and other cash equivalents. And Brian, when I think of CDs and money markets, I mean, they're very, very safe, safe, safe investments. You threw in fixed annuities there as well, too. That is the upside to these. But is there a negative? I mean, why would I not want to pick a CD, a fixed annuity or a money market investment? Yeah, and let me frame up this conversation, this segment, uh, before we launch into that. As I see the investment markets, there's uh, two places that you can invest, broad markets that you can invest in that are active, and five of them that are passive. So the two that are active would be investing in your education. You got to participate in that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And investing in your business, you got to participate in that. So those are two places you can invest your your money and resources into and maybe get a really good return on. Now, there's five passive investment categories, uh, as I see it. The biggest one in the world is the bond market, uh, surprisingly, for a lot of people. The second biggest is the global stock market, so equities in stocks. The third biggest category is investment real estate. I'm not talking about your principal residence here. I'm talking about investment real estate. That could be REITs, real estate investment trusts, DSTs, Delaware statutory trusts, or maybe you own rental houses, you know, whatever you have. The fourth category is insurance company products. So we're thinking fixed index annuities, variable annuities, life insurance, uh, fixed index universal life, uh, premium finance, FIULs, that kind of thing. So that's the insurance industry uh, investments. And the fifth category is cash and cash equivalents. So that's what we're talking about in this segment. So one of the reasons why someone would opt for cash and cash equivalents over all those other categories I just mentioned is safety of principle. And so their safety of principle, the other attribute that may be included in cash and cash equivalents is liquidity. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, on those other things I mentioned, they might, some might be liquid, some are not. Some might be safe on the downside, like a fixed index annuity or a fixed index universal life. But most of those categories do not have safety of principle, whereas cash and cash equivalents may. So safety and liquidity, two very important considerations. If you're looking to sleep better at night, you don't care uh, really as much about hitting home runs out of the park, but you just want to be safe with that. These could be good considerations for you. Each type of cash equivalent, though, offers interest, but each vary as to the required holding period, right? Yeah, so there's variables there. So let's say, you know, one of them I threw in here and it's it can be part of the insurance company thing, but I threw it in here as fixed annuity because it's so similar to a CD to me in that a CD is something that's offered by a bank often and they'll say, "All right, if you give us some money for a period of time, we will give you X amount of interest." Well, a fixed annuity is offered by a large insurance company as opposed to a bank and they say, "If you give us your money for fixed period of time, we will give you a certain amount of interest. So they sound so much alike, I, I did move that fixed annuity into cash and cash equivalents. But yeah, so each one has a different holding period. I'd say the longest holding period is generally with the fixed annuities. So maybe three years, maybe five years, maybe seven years. Uh, it could be any of that. Whereas CDs also have a holding period, but their holding period might be three months, six months, a year, two years, five years. You know, you can get longer CDs. And finally, money markets, they generally don't have a required holding period. They're more liquid, you know, more like a, like a savings account almost. So a money market is, is what I would consider liquid out of these three that I just mentioned. So money markets, that is the most liquid. If you need to get your hands on cash pretty quickly, a money market may be your best choice. Brian, what's another reason why you might want to have money markets? Well, this is, I wanted to talk about this because as a financial advisor, people, you know, I, I hear something over and over and over and then I say, okay, I got to put that on the radio. And so what, what I hear over and over and over is I have all this cash in a money market or in checking or savings, whatever. Let's call it money market in this case, which is terrible. I know it's terrible. I shouldn't be in, a, in cash, but I'm not sure what to do. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's okay to be in cash. It's okay to be in the money market and not be invested. Please don't invest just to invest. People feel terrible that they, they don't have 100% of their money invested all the time. Well, there's multiple reasons not to be 100% invested all the time. One is you need some kind of cushion. What if something goes wrong? Or what if you need to buy something or your roof leaks or you need a new car or something? What, or, or you need some peace of mind or your spouse needs some peace of mind. Whatever. There are a lot of reasons just to have cash on the sidelines. But the biggest reason I can see is some people rush to invest and they invest in something they don't really like or understand just to get it into something. And what if the market goes down? And then you're going, wait a second, that was a bad choice. I should have just left it in the money market. Or what if you need some, we call it in the industry, dry powder. Mm -hmm. You're waiting for the right opportunity. So you're sitting there with money in the account knowing that Something might come along as really good and you have the access to buy it then or to invest in it then because you have that money sitting there or you have plans for it. Well, I don't have anything today for it, but in six months or a year or a year and a half, I have this thing I want to do. I need it for that. Well, if you have a six month 
time period or year time period, I'm never going to recommend you put it in the stock market or something else like mm-hmm. this risky because you don't know what's going to happen and it could take that money away. So here I am, you know, talking about a lot of reasons why you might opt for an investment with almost no return because there's a lot of other factors and considerations you got to employ when considering your overall investment strategy. Brian, when I think of CDs, money markets, you know, that sort of thing, the old passbook savings account, fixed annuities, I think of my parents. I mean, people who are, you know, in their 80s, maybe 90 years of age, they want all that safety. But I mean, is there a place for safe money investments like this? Should younger people or people who haven't maybe gotten to the distribution phase, should they consider a certain part of their portfolio just keeping, as you said, that dry powder? Yeah, well, everybody needs a cushion, I would say. But if you're if you're 35 years old and you've got you know 300 thousand dollars in a money market account and you never plan on doing anything with it, well, maybe you should invest that money. I'm just right, right. That would you know the, my first blush. I'm saying, gosh, uh, you invest that for 20, 30 years is probably going to grow quite a bit if you do a good job. You know, historically it certainly has. So I would want that invested. And everybody's number is different. Some people go, yeah, I need a cushion. I need 10 grand. Is that all? Yep. I don't need more than that. I'm fine. Other people say, no, I need $200,000 in my account before I feel okay, before I can sleep at night, knowing that if I want to buy a car, or go on a trip or whatever, I've got money in the account. Great. Have 200 grand. There's no right or wrong answer to that one. Everybody's going to be different that way. But if you're looking at your long term, yeah, solve for that one. And then the first thing I ask is, you know, they say, well, I want to invest the rest with you. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. (laughs) Are there any things in the next several years that you think you're going to need this money for? Oh, well, yeah, I was planning on buying a second home and I've got uh, one kid in in graduate school. I got to pay for that. Uh, I was thinking about doing X, Y and Z. Like, okay, don't invest that money with me. Put it into something else short term. Maybe, okay, you said, I heard you say a year. Put it into a one year CD. You at least you'll get a decent interest rate on it for a year. Well, not, <laughs> I say decent. Uh, decent is a relative term these yeah. days with CDs, but uh, you'll get more than you would with a passbook savings or money market. So here's an example where, and maybe they needed some money in two months. Well, put that money in a money market, put the other money in a CD. Don't invest in a market because I don't know what it's going to do in two months or a year. And so as you do your financial plan, consider when you need liquidity and, you know, invest accordingly. So, Brian, if I'm hearing you correctly, if you've got big purchases coming up, I mean, as you said, you're looking to purchase a second home. Maybe, you know, you've got children, grandchildren's tuition to pay. You've got something like that. Maybe this is not a great strategy for you, but... If those big expenses are behind you and you don't forecast any huge expenses in the future, discounting, you know, long-term care, something like that, that these safe money strategies might be a good option for you. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. And it's funny because when I when I start doing a financial plan for somebody or or anybody at my firm, the first thing I want to do is to figure out what money we don't want to invest for the client that we don't want to manage. So I got to work that out before I go to what I will might manage for them. I got to work out what you should keep, what you may need, what you need for a cushion, what you need for your future plans. Let's get that out of the way and pull that off the table. We're not even going to discuss that. Then I might look at their real estate and which of this do you absolutely need to keep and so forth. So I'm looking for things that not to invest before we figure out, okay, what's left for us to talk about? I got to get that out of the way. And so cash and cash equivalents is a very important discussion when talking about your financial planning. 
Brian, I always learn from examples there. Can you give me an example of a person that using these safe money strategies might be best utilized for? Yeah, you know, I get a lot of calls from people saying, yeah, I just got cashed out of something and I'm going to uh, pay my taxes next April 15th. And I've got uh, five months until then or whatever it is. Can you give me a really good investment I could put that into and make a you know a good solid return without taking any risk? And my first reaction is generally, uh, no, <laughs> there really isn't anything. Because you said good return. You can get a return. Again, money markets uh, generally just don't pay very much because there's too much money out there and, and banks and so forth don't have to pay very much to attract money these days. And so, you know, there's no obvious solutions to that. But again, as I mentioned earlier, the timing of when you need money, the longer you can hold money, the, the greater your return. So I mentioned money markets don't pay really much of anything at all, but they're very liquid. So you can have that right away. CDs pay a little bit and you get a three month that pays a little bit or six month or a year. The year would probably pay more than the three-month one, or you can get a fixed annuity, maybe get a three-year or five-year. They likely will pay more than that CD. That would generally be the case because the holding period is longer. So if you're somebody that just says, you know, I don't need a rate of return. I'm at a point in life, I just need safety. And I don't even want a fixed index annuity. I want to know exactly what I'm going to get. Well, all right, you might want a CD or a fixed annuity as opposed to a fixed indexed annuity because they're going to tell you what they're going to pay you. And so some people are just done investing. They just don't want to do it. And and they, they just want that safe money. But for most of my clients, it comes down to a discussion about their short-term liquidity needs, short-term meaning three years or less generally for me, and making sure you have all of that figure out before you start discussing investing in riskier investments. We're talking about cash, cash equivalents that offer safety of principle, fixed annuities, CDs, money market investments, things like that. If you do have questions about our topic today, once again, 844-MADRONA is the number to call to get your questions answered. Also, the same number for your financial review if you need one of those. 844-MADRONA. You can also request your complimentary review online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Time for a break back with more after this. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're we'll talking about understanding annuity fees. And Brian, when I talk to people who are dead set against annuities, you ask them why and if they do know the reason why other than just I heard somebody that doesn't like annuities. Many times they will mention fees, so I want to talk about that a little bit. We've talked about fixed annuities, fixed index annuities. Is the problem fee so much with those, or is it variable annuities? Well, yeah, um, there can be fees in, in all different kinds of annuities, and annuities is a very broad topic. And so that's, that encompasses pretty much all annuities from all insurance companies, but there's different types. Uh, if we look at variable annuities, variable annuities, let's start there, are sold by non-fiduciary advisors, mm-hmm. so advisors that are not held to the fiduciary standard. Okay, that's fine, but one of the things about variable annuities, because I'll hear people say, oh, you just mentioned annuity. I hate them because the fees are so high. I'm like, well, maybe the one I'm talking about doesn't have any fees to you. Oh, 
well, the ones I've heard about have tons of fees. And I'm like, okay, you're probably talking about something called a variable annuity. So the variable annuity sold by a stockbroker, say, they might have a big upfront commission and that commission comes out of your account balance. So you, you put 100000 into annuity and you notice your first statement, you maybe have 93000 You go, where'd $7,000 go? Well, it went to a commission to the, the broker. And then annually, you'll have investment fees because you're invested in the markets, administration fees. Because there's some guarantees, if you die prematurely, there's mortality and expense fees, kind of like a life insurance thing. And then annually, there will be a commission trail, a commission paid to the broker that sold it to you. So I just named a whole bunch of fees right, right. that you might go, wow, that's why I don't like annuities. Well, don't be so broad. You don't like maybe variable annuities mm-hmm. in this situation. They certainly offer you know some positive attributes, but... One of the negatives, the biggest negative, I would say, to a variable annuity can be the high fees. Right. And beyond that, too, it is pretty much, I mean, you're in the market. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are you really kind of in the market with a variable annuity? Yeah, you're not directly in the market. You're in a a conduit to the market. So you have to pick out these proprietary funds offered by the annuity company, which are tied to stock and bond markets. So in essence, you are. So uh, you can have really good years and really bad years. So generally, you know, you can do better when you're in the market long term. So I'd say variable annuities can be maybe a good thing. And then you got, oh, except those fees are really nasty. And and I, I might say to somebody, you know, if you don't need the guarantees, why are you using the, the insurance company as a conduit to get to the market? Why don't you just invest in the market without all the fees? Again, there are some attributes in variable annuities you can't get by investing directly in the market. But that's a discussion that has to be had is why are you going through an insurance company first to get to the market? Because they're going to take out a whole bunch of fees along the way. So that's a variable annuity. I don't offer variable annuities. I offer fixed annuities and fixed index annuities. Brian, with fixed and fixed index annuities, do they typically have any fees or commissions involved with them and who pays them if they do? Yeah. So uh, the typical fixed annuity doesn't have any fee to the investor. Now, that's not to say that the insurance person that puts you into that doesn't get paid. Of course they do. And so let me try to explain how that that fee might work. So you might say, wow, it's free. Poor insurance guy. You went to all that work. You filled out all the paperwork. You had these meetings with me. You don't even get paid, right? No, they get paid, but they get paid by the insurance company directly. They don't pull a commission out of your investment balance. So with a variable annuity example I gave, there was $100,000 put in, you get your first statement, it says you got 93,000. Mm-hmm. Well, you see that 7,000 coming out. With a fixed annuity, let's say, or a fixed, many fixed index annuities, you put in 100, your first statement says you have 100. Oh, okay, I didn't pay a commission. Well, I know that insurance salesperson got paid something. They were paid directly from the insurance company. Okay, how is that different? Well, let's say that you bought a a fixed annuity, and I'll just throw out a number, and it was paying 2.5%. Well, the commission was paid directly by an insurance company. They could have paid you a higher amount, but they got to put some money towards that salesperson to pay them something for putting you in that. And so they, they offer you a little bit less. That's why they'll state what that interest rate is. That's net 
of whatever they're going to pay the insurance salesperson. And Brian, common to most annuities are surrender charges. I guess you could call those fees. Can you tell me about surrender charges? And, you know, is there a minimum time period associated with them from the time they're purchased? Just a a little bit about surrender charges, what you may pay there. Yeah, surrender charges, you know, when when you buy an annuity, they're not a short-term investment either for you or for the insurance company. So the insurance company is investing in long-term contracts with your money. It might be options contracts or whatever, bonds. And you've kind of made a commitment. You know, Maybe you bought a seven-year annuity. That insurance company is going to invest with a seven-year profile, and, and they're going to tie that money up. Well, if after a year or two you go, no, changed my mind, that seven-year investment, I want it all back now. Mm-hmm. And the insurance company is going, whoa, whoa, we've already got your money. Uh, I feel like it's a wonderful life uh, with Jimmy Stewart <laughs> or whatever. He's like, no, no, you, I have your money invested in, in Fred's house. And Fred, you know, uh, the, they got it invested long-term. I don't just have it in the vault back here. And so if you put that insurance company in a tough position there by saying, I want the whole amount liquid after a couple years, even though I signed up for seven years, there's going to be a fee. And that fee is called the surrender fee. You know, when you when you went in that investment, you both agreed to hold it for at least a certain period of time and you didn't do that. So you've changed your mind for whatever reason. And that surrender fee is going to be charged. The surrender fee is going to be highest early. Let's mm-hmm. say it's a seven year and it might, I'll just throw an example. Let's say after one year, it might be 7% or 10% even, uh, very high. They're, they're saying, please don't take this money out right after you put it in. That surrender fee will lower to eventually it will be zero. So at, at the end of seven years in this example with the seven year annuity, you say, I want all my money. What's my fee? Well, your fee is zero because you went through the surrender period. You no longer owe that fee. Brian, let's say that halfway through the seven years, I don't necessarily need all of my money, but I need a little bit of it. Let's say that I only want to take out, you know, let's say 10%. Do surrender fees, are they charged for such a small amount like that? Uh, That's a great question. Most fixed index annuities and fixed annuities allow for some kind of, we call it surrender-free withdrawal. Okay. And so you can take out a certain percentage. It might be zero after the first year. It might be 10% after the second year, third year, fourth year. You could take 10% out without a surrender fee or 5% or, you know, each one's going to be different. The most common that I have seen with fixed index annuities and fixed annuities is 10%. Okay. So they most often offer a 10% free withdrawal, which is kind of cool because let's say that somebody put a portion of their retirement money into their from their IRA into a fixed index annuity. And they said, well, I'm worried about what if I need the money? I said, well, do you ever plan on taking more than 10% of your entire portfolio out during your retirement? Well, no, you know, I, I gotta have it last 30 years. I'm like, okay, well, you can take 10% out of the annuities. And that's assuming you have all of your money in annuities, which I would never do to somebody. And so even if if you did, you could still take 10% out in a year. Generally speaking, most portfolios will have some money in stock and bond market. That's liquid all the time. So if you needed short-term cash, you usually take it from there. You might have some cash and cash equivalents. You might have some REITs that you've held more than a year and, and you, you can liquidate them. The fixed index annuities or fixed annuities, you can take, in my example, 10% out in a given year. So you have liquidity in those. So they are an option, but it's not 
half liquid. It's, it's you know, 5%, 10%, whatever that, that percentage is. Brian, let's say that I want certain features with my annuity and they could be such things as lifetime income or a higher participation rate on an investment option. I'm putting a rider on my annuity. Are there fees associated with riders? Yes, there are. So as you add benefits to an annuity, there's going to be some kind of cost to that, which makes sense. So if I have a fixed annuity and I just know oh, it's going to pay me X percentage for five years, well, I'm not asking them to give me any bells and whistles. But let's say I have an annuity and I say, I want increasing lifetime cash flow added to this one. Oh, that's a rider. That's an additional benefit. That benefit will likely cost you something. It might be, let's, I'll just throw out a, an example. Let's say it was 1% a year. So they will charge 1% a year. And I just mentioned that fixed index annuities, they generally have a, a floor of zero. So you say, oh, I can never lose money. Well, you know, one caveat to that is if the market went down and yeah, your floor is zero, but you might have a 1% rider fee, your account balance would have gone down 1% that year because you're asking them to offer you in the future life guaranteed lifetime cash flow. So that's a benefit. Not all annuities have that fee with the guaranteed lifetime cash flow, but many of them do. And so that might be a rider, an additional benefit that you pay something for annually. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We've been talking about different types of annuities and their different fees. Brian, out of time for this week. Thank you for your time. Most of all, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out there, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Service is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.